Welcome back to the Macro Review. I'm your host, Hugo Mason, and thank you all for those who got in touch with me last week. Obviously, our first episode and, and a big one as well on the US debt ceiling. Thanks to those that you know slid into my DMs and gave me some positive and, and obviously some constructive criticism, which is exactly what I asked for, so I thank you. I'm working on the background noise. I'm going to talk a little bit more slowly um, and hopefully uh, throughout this process really fine-tune the skills of being a podcast host. Now, I thought it was a good idea before we dive into this week's episode and topic, I'll give a quick rundown of what's been happening in, in, in the macro environment. Starting off, I want to touch on a few things in the economy. Airfares have posted their 15 consecutive month of double-digit growth in February. Uh, this is obviously coming off the back of COVID. The debt ceiling, we spoke about a little bit last week, but there has been some developments there. 43 Senate Republicans say they will oppose any bill that only raises the debt ceiling. So it's still, this debt ceiling is still a crisis. We're getting closer to that June 1st deadline that we spoke about last week. Both parties want to cut costs, but it looks like there's no deal at this stage. So hold on to your caps, folks. It seems to be still a, a work in progress, and hopefully both parties can come to some sort of agreement sooner rather than later, both for our sakes and for the economy's sakes. And you know, furthermore, for the world's sake as well, as we know, the US is, is really the backbone of the world's economy. We've gone through a banking crisis recently. Um, Jamie Diamond and um, a, a lot of CEOs have come out to really put some strength and some confidence into the US banking system. Uh, we need now the politicians to come through and, you know, strike a deal that's beneficial for both sides and sees that this debt ceiling is not a crisis and that we're in a catastrophic kind of state for the economy moving forward. That's a quick snapshot of the macro environment as at 15th of May 2023. Now, let's jump into this week's topic. A lot of people have been asking me, Hugo, what's going to be the next topic for episode two? Or if you're on Spotify, episode one, uh, don't ask why that has happened. In any event, this week's topic is China. We're talking about technology, we're talking about economics, and most importantly, one that I find very interesting in the modern, you know, modern day is propaganda. Now, without further ado, let's jump in. Propaganda is an interesting topic for me. Uh, the first thing I really think of is that we want you posts with the man in the red, white, and blue top hat pointing at the reader. Now, propaganda has come a long way since the World Wars or the Great Wars and, and posters such as the one described earlier. And China could be leading the way, uh, spending hundreds of millions of dollars on films, highlighting the strength of their military and allowing a bit of an insight into life on the ground in China. Now, earlier this year, China released a film titled Born to Fly. The film highlights a special operations team experimenting with new fighter jets, experimenting with new technology, and overcoming a historical global power. Now, it doesn't take much to connect the dots of whom they may be overcoming in the film, uh, and I'll, I'm not going to mention it, but I'm sure you're able to, like I said, connect the dots there. I think this, you know, this is interesting. I think it gives an interesting insight into how China wants to be seen to the world, but it also gives an insight of how China sees itself in 2023. Now, a lot of people are making the correlation between um, Top Gun, a very American, you know, pro-military, pro-power, um, somewhat propaganda-like film, and this Born to Fly film. So it's an interesting correlation to make, and I want to dive into that a little bit deeper. 
So the themes of Top Gun and Born to Fly are very, very similar. Within Born to Fly, it's obviously extremely patriotic, portraying the military, you know, that they'll do anything for their motherland, do anything for China. And it conveys this message as China being a young, up-and-coming nation with nothing to lose. They, they aim to display their military as being superior. Even though they're behind in the technology within the film, they still have that overarching message of being superior, being young and up-and-coming and, you know, really has nothing to lose, you know, through, through fighting and through making strides in technology and through making strides with, with innovation within um, the Air Force, they have nothing to lose. Like I said, it doesn't make any direct kind of mention of the United States, but it's very easy to connect. Um, And drawing conclusions from Top Gun, if you haven't seen Top Gun, it too is a very pro-military, pro-power film, um, displaying the U.S. military as being, you know, the creme de la creme as as militaries go. Um, It touches on the Air Force where Tom Cruise, um, Maverick, is to train a new set of elite fighter pilots for a special mission, quote-unquote. And it's it's all about second chances, it's all about mateship, legacy, and even though correlation is not necessarily causation, I see how it may represent the world that we live in currently. The quote-unquote new, you know, new young gun, China, aiming to take over the throne of a tired superpower of the U.S., but, you know, that tied superpower in its age and wisdom has one more fight or one more battle left in it. Whether that could be Taiwan or, or another battle is really up for, for, you know, one's perception. But I can see how there's some definite, you know, correlations there to be made. I think this is an interesting point to make. It seems too real in 2023, but with the grizzlings that have been coming out of Washington and, and obviously in Beijing, you know, shooting down a quote-unquote weather balloon earlier this year and cancelling meetings between diplomats. It's a very scary time, and I, I definitely see that how the you know China seeing itself as this new up-and-coming power, um, wanting to take the throne, whether that be in GDP, military strength, and what they're doing now with Russia, um, you know, trying to be the peacekeeper, being involved in negotiations. Whether you think those negotiations are fair or not, they seem like they want to be the world's peacemaker, something that the U.S. was known for. Um, you know, the U.S. gets labelled the world police, uh, and a lot of people, especially on the Republican side, take you know, not so much take offence to that, but don't want to necessarily you know pay the bill of what being the the world's police is like. So it's interesting seeing China. Like I said, whether you think the negotiations are fair for the Ukrainian or Russian side of the argument, or or war, or what have you. They're still trying to be that that global superpower that's saying, you know, this is the way we want things to work, uh, and this is how it will be going forward. So there's definitely some correlations there, and it's interesting that it's coming out of you know Hollywood and coming out of Beijing within films. Obviously, these films are very very similar and share very similar plots. Um, both pilots, both you know, have this very special mission. Um, they just don't have, you know, Tom Cruise shirtless within Born to Fly, which is obviously an interesting, <laughs> interesting point to make. But yeah, definitely some correlation there and definitely worth pointing out. As you see more, you know, things on, I, I'm seeing a lot of the, you know, clips on TikTok where that's my algorithm of um, Born to Fly. It's interesting. Um, I don't know whether this is a, a Western thing or just being, you know, growing up on in, in the Western world. 
feels like it's very scripted and very much wanting to show China in, as a very elite, very much um, nothing like the fun and the glory and the Hollywood-like in Top Gun, but very much, you know, we do as we're told kind of mentality and very strict in regiment. But definitely worth seeing the film as it comes out. It's out in Australia, it's out in the UK, and obviously in the US. Um, uh, it's doing very well at the box office. It's done over 100 million, so definitely one worth seeing. And if you haven't seen Top Gun as well, um, obviously a very good film. There was a little bit of controversy uh, in the earlier parts of the years due to the Taiwan flag. That's a whole other conversation itself, uh, but definitely look into that and look into the film and love to hear your thoughts. And whether you see a correlation there as that seems to be a bit of the flavor of the month, making that correlation and making the two real correlation that it looks like the modern world as well. Now that we all want to go off and watch Top Gun and Born to Fly, I think it sets the table well into our next discussion about technology and the economy of both the USA and China more broadly. Technology is obviously a very much front of mind conversation in 2023. The technology sector in the US has had a, you know, a bit of a battle through the latter parts of Q2, Q3 and Q4 of 2022. And it seems to be that they're making a little bit of a correction or a bit of a, you know, they're, they're saving some money through layoffs and seeing whether they can, you know, f- put resources in the right direction and making a bit of recovery in, you know, Q1 of, of this year of 2023. Technology has been such an issue, has been such a, for, you know, an issue at the forefront between China and the US. We saw Joe Biden announce the CHIPS Act, the CHIPS Act, bringing, you know, the production of to Taiwan as they may have a little bit more control than what would you know be in China. Obviously this has caused a bit of a headache for companies like Apple and Samsung that use a lot of chips within their mobile phones and computers and, and so on and so forth. But I think it's an interesting conversation to discuss about China's economy. Obviously a bit of a slow start coming out of COVID and the lockdowns and things that followed. But I also think it's worth you know noting the the one child policy and seeing how that's kind of played out in, in 2023 and how that'll play out going forward. So that's what we're going to dive into next. The one-child policy was a population control policy of the People's Republic of China that was officially enforced between 1979 and 2015. The policy limited most Chinese families to one child, although there were some exceptions. These were made for rural families, ethnic minorities, and couples in which one parent was an only child. The policy was enforced through a variety of methods, including fines, forced abortions, and sterilization. The one-child policy was implemented in response to concerns about overpopulization. China's population had grown rapidly in the 20th century, and the government feared that this growth would put a strain on the country's resources and also their environment. China is now feeling the full consequences of the one-child policy, with a decline in population. The fertility rates have fallen below the replacement level of 2.1 children per woman, and the number of people aged 60 and older is expected to double by 2050. This has had a number of effects on their economy, such as declining labor force. The shrinking labor force will lead to a decline in economic growth. 
the labor force participation rate is already declining and is expected to continue to decline into the coming decades. Furthermore, there will be an increased cost for Social Security. The aging population will put a strain on the country's Social Security system. The government will need to increase spending on pensions and healthcare into the coming decades. Lastly, a reduced in demand for goods and services. Now, we all know our grandparents tend to, you know, not spend as much as, as we do, and they also tend to save more. This is going to occur in China. As a result, this will reduce the overall demand in the economy. Now, our good friends over at Goldman Sachs have predicted that Chinese economic growth will slow from 8% in 2010 to 4% by 2030. And the aging population is one of the main factors that has contributed to this slowdown. Now with this, it is clear that China will you know, still likely catch up and probably overtake the US economy in GDP, but not as quickly as once thought. This will allow the US to execute ways of growing the economy, developing new technology, recruiting top-tier talent, pushing capitalism, and overcoming issues such as climate change, the expanding wealth gap, and political polarization. Despite the challenges, there's also some opportunities for cooperation between China and the United States. The two countries can work together to address global challenges such as climate change. They can also work together to promote economic growth and development. The future of the relationship between China and the United States will depend on the ability of the two countries to manage their differences and to find areas of cooperation. If the two countries can do this, they can build a relationship that is beneficial to both countries and to the world. Now team, that's another episode of the Macro Review on China, talking all things propaganda, economics, the one-child policy, and GDP. I hope you all enjoyed the episode and look forward to tuning in next week. If you'd like to get in contact with the show, please, uh, my Instagram and email address is in the show notes below. Please feel free to reach out if you want me to touch on any specific topics. If you have any feedback, again, positive, negative, please reach out. But that's all for now. I look forward to touching base next week. Have a great week. Thank you. Bye.